the time because you'll know the story then and you'll know something about what we're preaching. In Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1, Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it. Now look please at Jonah chapter 3 and verse 1. You'll find something very similar except a bit different. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, so far, it's been about the same thing as the first time. But, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. Now, the first time the Lord said, Go, and cry against it. The second time he said, Go, and preach unto the city of Nineveh what I tell you. Now, listen carefully to the story. <coughs> Jonah had been called by God to go cry against the sins of Nineveh. He refused to go, went down toward Tarshish, caught a ship at Joppa for Tarshish, and, and uh, went on his way. You recall how that there was a storm, and the storm uh, caused the ship uh, uh, mates to cast lots to see whose fault it was, and they cast lots and found it was Jonah's fault. And Jonah said, cast me off the ship, and it was done. And Jonah was cast into the sea, and a great fish prepared by God came and, and swallowed Jonah. And Jonah was for three days and three nights in the belly of that fish. Now, uh, of course I believe the story because I believe the Bible. You see, I don't read the Bible or read a portion of the Bible and then decide whether to believe it or not. I decide to believe the Bible and then to find out, then, then I believe what I read. And so God prepared a great fish, and for three days and three nights, we said, we, we, we studied about this and preached about this last Sunday night, about three days and three nights in, in, in the, uh, the heart of the earth was Christ and so forth. And Jonah was for three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, and then he repented, he prayed, and he was, uh, he was uh, regurgitated uh, from the fish. If you want clear language, I could give it to you. Uh, he was um, uh, regurgitated, and uh, nothing that quite makes anybody sick in his stomach as, as, a, as a backslidden preacher, and especially a fish. And the fish uh, got uh, sick in his stomach and said, this is not as good as I thought it was. And uh, so he, he, he regurgitated Jonah, almost said it. Uh, he regurgitated Jonah, and uh, jo the Lord came to Jonah the second time and said, Go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. And Jonah did. Jonah went to Nineveh, went up and down the streets of Nineveh, and he said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh will be destroyed. And Jonah preached that Nineveh's sins had come up before God, and God was going to destroy Nineveh in forty days. But a wonderful thing happened. The greatest revival that, 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 that the world has ever seen, I think, followed. And uh, uh, the city of Nineveh, how big was it? Some folks think there were 600,000 people. Some folks think there were 2 million people. Some people estimate as high as 10 million people lived in the city of Nineveh. I have no idea. I rather think, personally, it was a million or more. <clears throat> but anyway, a big city. And uh, uh, in our language, the mayor got right with God, the city councilman got right with God, the school board, got, the school teachers got right with God. They didn't have to read of mice and men or catcher in the rye in the school system anymore. They called off all the school dances. This is all in the Hebrew now. You have to check very carefully in the Hebrew to get this. And uh, they called off all the school dances, and they, and they wouldn't let the people wear mini skirts. I was thinking this morning as I saw a girl walk in with a skirt, well, I say this, with a long blouse. I said, Dear Lord, let the visitors think she's a visitor. Let the folks that have traveled across the country, let these people that show their thighs when they come to church, 
uh, let the folks think they're visitors. In fact, I'd appreciate if you folks who are visitors who come half naked, I'd like for you to ride across the, your, your uh, well, ride it across your legs. That covers some, uh, just ride and say, I am a visitor. Or at least, if you're a member of the church and dress like that, at least ride on the, on, on, across yourself, I know better. I'd like for you to do that if you would, please. I know better. My preacher doesn't believe in the way I dress. I'd like you to know that. By the way, I plan to tell him anyway. <laughs> but, uh, uh, so they, they made, they, they got dress codes at men of a high school. And they, and they had such a revival that, the, that they would, couldn't wear bell-bottom trousers, uh, at, at men of a junior high. And the, the, the Nineveh principal decided that there's gonna, we're gonna have a dress code, couldn't wear a mini skirt, and they decided boys had to get haircuts and shave off their stupid looking mustaches, and, uh, and long, uh, uh worldly sideburns, and long beatney kind of haircuts, and they had a real revival at Nineveh. Uh, such a revival that Brother Hiles didn't have any sermons to preach for months. He had to start studying for his sermon. And, uh, so, um, uh, the, the town got converted. And the Bible says the Lord decided not to destroy Nineveh after all. Well, boy, you'd think Jonah would be happy, wouldn't you? Jonah was a fella. Boys, listen now. Boys, hey, fella, listen. And uh, so, uh, uh, and, and all of that, in the church services, everybody listened, nobody talked and whispered. And, uh, and you think Jonah would be happy? Why, well, Jonah had been preaching against the sins of Nineveh. Jonah had said, 40 days and Nineveh shall be destroyed. But, you know, the strangest thing happened. The Lord said, okay, I'm not going to destroy Nineveh. Revival came, the blessings of God came, and God said, I'm not going to destroy Nineveh. And so Nineveh was not destroyed. Why, well, you'd think that Jonah would be the happiest fellow in town, wouldn't you? But that's not true. Jonah became a sulking uh, bigot. He was, he was disappointed. He went outside the city and built him a little booth. And just said, I'm going to dwell in the booth, and I'm going to see the city destroyed. I'm going to build me a place where I'll be safe, and I'll watch God destroy the city. But the Lord didn't destroy the city. And Jonah came to God and said, God, you told me you're going to destroy the city. And the Lord said, well, Jonah, uh, the, the city got right. The city repented. Everybody got right. And revival came. And the city repented. And Jonah said, but you've made the biggest fool in town, out of me. I've been going up and down the street saying, 40 days. Now, you will let 40 day, 40th day comes and the city's not destroyed. I won't be considered a prophet. Well, they won't. They, you, you made a fool out of me. And uh, Jonah uh, built himself a booth and lamented. In fact, Jonah said, I want to die. I want to die. If I'd have been God, I'd have said, I want to kill you too. But, but uh, uh, the Lord didn't. The Lord is merciful. And Jonah said, I want to die. If you don't destroy the city, I don't want to live. Because I said you're going to destroy the city. And Jonah built him a booth. And the Lord prepared a gourd. And this poisonous gourd came up over Jonah and provided shade for Jonah. Now, this is something you didn't know, but I think Jonah was bald-headed. And uh, I, now, I, 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 don't, I don't know for sure. I think he was. The reason is I think he was a handsome man. I think all bald-headed men are handsome and getting more handsome all the time. But uh, I, uh, uh, Jonah, I think, was bald-headed, and, uh, as Elisha was. But the Lord prepared a gourd, and the gourd came up over Jonah and provided shade for Jonah. And the Lord was saying, Jonah, I still love you. In spite of the fact that you're, that you're not what you ought to be, I still love you. In spite of the fact, in fact, Jonah, you said back yonder in the earlier chapters that I was a merciful God and I'm merciful to you, but I'm merciful also to Nineveh. And then the Lord sent a worm. Now that's the key. I'm preaching this morning on I am a worm. Now no amens, please, or I'll preach tonight on you're a worm too. But, uh, anyway, I'm preaching on I am a worm. And so the worm came and, and, and devoured the gourd. Now God prepared the fish. God prepared 
the gourd, God prepared the worm, and later on we'll find that God prepared an east wind. There's a good sermon of four points. God prepared a fish, a gourd, a worm, and an east wind. But uh, the worm came and destroyed the gourd. Actually, overnight, destroyed the gourd. Now Jonah's shade is gone. Uh, Jonah has no protection. He has no shade. God gave him shade. God wanted him to know who provided his shade. God said, Jonah, I'm giving you protection from the, from the, the heat, but I want you to know who provided it. And so Jonah, a dwelling beneath the gourd, God sent the worm, and the worm devoured the gourd. And the Bible said, Jonah said, I want to die again. A uh, east wind came. It was so hot. And Jonah said, I'm just absolutely about to swelter. And the air conditioning's not working too well. And, and, uh, and he said, I'm about to swelter. And he said, Lord, I want to die. And he asked God again if he could die. But now here's what I want you to know. The Lord. Why did God send a worm? That word worm, now listen carefully, that word worm in the original language is translated two different ways in the Old Testament. Sometimes the word worm, it's T-O-L-A-W, we spell it, to law, or T-O-L-A-W. Sometimes that word is translated scarlet. Sometimes it's worm. In Isaiah 1.18, Brother John read it to us with the follow go. Though your sins be as scarlet, that's the same word that's used here for the word worm, when the Bible says God prepared a worm. So Isaiah 1.18 could be, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Though your sins be as scarlet, they should be white as snow. Those are red like crimson. The word crimson there is the word for worm. It could have been translated, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like a worm, they shall be as wool. Or it could say in uh, jo Jonah 4, 7, that God prepared a scarlet, or God prepared a red, or God prepared a crimson. Now, sometimes the word in the Hebrew is translated scarlet or crimson, and sometimes it's translated worm. Let me give you an example. In the book of, um, in the Psalm, 22nd, Jesus was talking about the cross. In fact, uh, the psalmist was previewing the words that our Lord was going to use on the cross. When he said, I am become a worm, I am a worm, that word worm is the same word that's used in Jonah 4, 7 for Jonah's worm. It's the same word that's used in Psalm 22, 6 when our Lord says, I am a worm. It is the same word that is used in um, Isaiah 1, 18, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow, though they be red like crimson, the same word is used, they shall be as wool. So, the, the word is used other times too. It is used concerning Rahab's thread. Don't you recall in the Bible when the spies came to Jericho and Rahab kept them safely and they said, if you'll provide safety for us, we'll see to it that when the city is destroyed, you and your household will be spared. And they said, now look, when the armies come to Jericho, you hang a scarlet thread out of your window. Did you know that scarlet and that thread came from a worm? It was a dye that came from a red worm. And it's the same word, that scarlet thread, what it could say, that worm thread, that red worm thread. That thread died by the same di uh, the dye that came from the same worm that uh, ate Jonah's gourd. The same worm, our Lord said, I am a worm. The same worm, Isaiah 1.18, though your sins be as scarlet, for the red like crimson, the same word. That thread dropped from the window of Rahab outside the walls of Jericho was the same Word, worm, red worm, it was a red worm dye, is what it was, coming from the same worm of Jonah and the worm of our Lord who said, I am a worm. Now, when the high priest wore his garments that were red, uh, a high priest had on him some garments that were red. 
the word red, or the garment, or the word um, um, the word that, that describes the color of the garment, is the same word that mentioned is mentioned in Jonah as worm, and in Psalm as a worm, and in Isaiah one eighteen as scarlet. Uh, in the tabernacle, they had the, 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 the veil, for example, was of red and blue and purple. Red representing the man part of Christ. Purple representing the God, I'm sorry, blue representing the God part of Christ. And purple, a combination of red and blue, representing the God, that he's the God man. Now that red in the tabernacle furnishing is the same red. It was of, made of dye from this worm. Now, what am I talking about? I am a worm, so says Jesus. Now, follow me carefully. Jonah had made himself a booth. He had made himself a covering, and the gourd came up over him, and God said, I'm going to devour your covering. I'm going to devour your own protection. I'm going to send a worm. What kind of worm? The same worm that our Lord called himself. The same worm that... that uh, that uh, was the that made the, the the scarlet thread outside the walls of Jericho and Rahab's day. And God said, "I'm going to send a worm to devour your man-made covering to show you that it is not man-made covering. It is not a gourd. It is not a booth that covers you. It is the worm, the scarlet worm. And that worm typifies the Lord Jesus Christ, who Himself said." He was that same kind of worm, that same tolaw, that same tulaw, that same worm. And so God is showing us once and for all, it is not man-made coverings. It is God's provision. And when Jesus said on Psalm 22, he said those words, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And a graphic picture of Calvary is listed in Psalm 22. And the Lord, in, in, I think, in, in summarizing the entire psalm said, Here's what I am on the cross. Here's what I'm becoming on the cross. I'm becoming a worm. What does it mean? It means that Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary was a red worm from whose veins would flow his own precious blood. Who alone can cover man's sin? Who alone can provide protection for man? This old sin-cursed, benighted world today, this old world full of apostasy and false religion and anti-Godism and anti-Bibleism and heathenism is trying to make its own covering. Somewhere this morning, Somebody was confirmed in a church, and they think that's going to cover them from their sin. Not on your life. God's worm is the covering for sin. The scarlet, the red, the crimson. God's provision. Many of you have heard me tell this story, but I was reminded this last month about it. I was in a certain city preaching, and a fellow came to me and said, Mrs. Walker told me to tell you hello. Well, man, I know a thousand Mrs. Walkers. And I said, Which Mrs. Walker? And he said, she lives in, in Freeport, Louisiana. And I said, I don't even know any Miss Walker in Freeport, Louisiana. Yes, he said, I was out soul winning, knocked on the door. Little lady came to the door, and, uh, and I said, I'm so-and-so, pastor of a certain church, and I want to know uh, where you go to church. And she said, I go to a certain Baptist church. And he said, are you saved? And she said, yes. said, I've been saved now for over 20 years. And he said, I, I want to ask her when. How did you get saved? She said, in an upstairs apartment, a garage apartment. A preacher came by in Marshall, Texas, over 20 years ago, and led me to Jesus Christ. And the fellow said, a preacher, out soul winning. Strange, you know, nowadays. And he said, who was it? And she said, his name was Jack Hyle. And the fellow said, why, sure, I've heard of Brother Hyle, and I, I, I've, I've heard him preach around the country. And, why, sure. And so the other day, he drove to Columbus, Ohio, and said, Mrs. Walker said, tell you hello. 
But there's a sweet story that I've told our people numbers of times behind that, and I thought about the story a couple weeks ago in Columbus, Ohio. One day, I'd won Mrs. Walker to Christ. She was 21 years of age, a lovely little lady, married, had a child. And um, so um, uh, she got sick, sick unto death. They thought she wouldn't live. They had to have blood for her. They had to have blood. So they called people and tried to find blood, and the folks went down, had their blood all uh, checked, and nobody's blood would do for her. And finally, they called the church, and they said, uh, Reverend Hyde, uh, could you help us get some blood? Well, immediately, I thought of others. You know, I always think about others, Lord, yes, others. And uh, so uh, I thought of others. Uh, <clears throat> I believe in living for others, you know. Let others give the blood. And uh, so I started calling church members. And everybody I called went, that, that could go went down to the hospital. And the hospital called and said, we haven't found any blood that'll do. They said, do you have anybody else? We only had 35, 40 members. And that nobody's blood would do. They said, can you find anybody else? I said, man, I've racked my brain. I can't find anybody else. And the nurse said, have you had your check? I said, well, 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 what? And the nurse said, have you had your check? And I said, well, 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 well I'm, I'm busy. I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm going to get busy. And, and, uh, I said, uh, so, uh, I went down to the, to the, the Cannes Memorial Hospital, uh, and I, uh, they checked my blood, and I, all the time. I prayed for her to get well, but prayed that my blood wouldn't do. And uh, so they came back, and they said, Reverend Howes, we have some good news for you. And I said, ah, great. They said, your blood is exactly right. I said, wonderful, wonderful. That's tremendous. And uh, so uh, uh, so they uh, they took me down, and they wrapped a big something around my arm here and, and then gave me some smelling sauce, and, and, uh, and uh, they took my blood. And it went out and out and out and out and out. And so uh, uh, they gave me some tomato juice. Looked like it looked like I was drinking what I'd just given. And uh, they uh, they gave me some tomato juice. And, and uh, uh, then they, they took the, the blood to her. And I said, could I go watch her get the blood? And she was very, very sick. So I went upstairs in the room, and they gave her the blood. She was unconscious. And they gave her the blood. And, and, and of course, the color came back in her cheeks and so forth. And, and uh, so um, as, as the blood went in, she began to wake up a little bit, and she asked the doctor. She said, Doctor, she said, did you find the blood? And the doctor said, yes, we found the blood. And she said, did you find it? And, and, uh, he, and she, the doctor said, it's Brother Hiles. And boy, you talk about lighting up, Dr. Billing. She smiled, and she looked up, and she said, Doctor, I know I'll go to heaven now <laughs> because I've got Brother Hiles' blood in me. And uh, that was the lady this preacher had seen. I saw him in Columbus, Ohio. It's out soul winning in Shreveport, Louisiana. Twenty years after, over twenty years after that, and he said, Mrs. Walker said, tell you hello. She's still faithful and active in the Lord's work. And I, and I thought about that concerning this sermon. You see, uh, the gourd wouldn't do, and the booth wouldn't do. The only thing God was saying, Jonah, you can't make your own covering. You can't make your own protection. You can't cover your own sin. You can't cover yourself from God. The only thing that can do it is that blood-red worm that our Lord called himself on the cross, or will call himself on the cross, and that, and that God inspired the, the, uh, the psalmist to call Jesus, I am a worm. And let me say this morning, I don't care what kind of covering for your salvation you're making, it won't do. It's going to take the Lord Jesus Christ and his precious blood. Nobody else's blood, just the preacher's blood would do. Uh, Mr. M- Mr. McGeorge, who lived up the road from us, he, he went down, his blood wasn't the right kind. And... Um, and there was a fellow lived next door to us. What was his name? Uh, Junior something. Junior Hayden. Junior Hayden. And Junior went down to the hospital. They said, your blood won't do. In fact, they said to me, Reverend, of all the blood we've taken, yours is the only blood that'll do. And let me say, my precious friend, as far as covering your sins is concerned, as far as your standing before God is concerned, 
Your confirmation won't do it, and your Lord's Supper won't do it, and your sacrament won't do it, and your confession won't do it, and your good life won't do it, and your church membership won't do it, and your baptism won't do it, and your baby sprinkling won't do it, and your sprinkling won't do it, and your turning over new leaf won't do it. Those are all simply man-made booze and gore. But God is saying once and for all, Jonah, let him know, salvation is of the Lord. Not of man-made methods, not of man-made churches, not of ritual, not of ordinances. Salvation is of the Lord. Somebody came to, I paid my respects and do quite often to our brethren across the street, uh, down, uh, pardon me, our neighbors across the street down the way uh, who, who uh, are only a block from the All Saints Church. This is the All Saints Church here. All our people are saved are saints. And, uh, and so... I pay my respect because of the way they opened their, the basement of their building to hippies and had a bunch of a marijuana LSD smoking hippies with their guitars and long beards and long hair turning it into a hippie joint down the street. And, and I make fun, and I preach a bit about their carnivals and their gambling. If the law says it's wrong to gamble, it's wrong for a church to have bingo. And I, I've made in my own timid way a few comments about that. The other day I heard of some property that was for sale down there. And so we checked to see if we could buy it. And the fellow who operates the place down there said, I'd rather tear it down than set it to hire. If he wants it torn down, I'd be glad to do it for him. Now what's he say? I'll tell you why. I'll tell you why. Because, brother, these man-made gourds, these man-made booze, come and confess to me. I'll absolve your sins. Come and take our sacrament. That will take care of your sins. All of those things, sacraments and, and uh, absolutions and uh, penance and uh, confession and, uh, and, and confirmation and all of it, they're simply man-made system of a world's desire to cover her own sins. But nobody can cover your sins and nothing can cover your sins apart from the precious blood of him who on the cross says, I am a worm. It's my red blood that, tears, that eats the gourd and destroys the gourd and makes the provisions for man's sins. Now, there are three things I think God is saying here. First place, God is saying that only a worm can save a nation. Only a worm can save a nation. God said, Jonah, the city of Nineveh is going to be spared, but it's the worm that does it. God is saying, that worm represents my own dear son who someday will bear the sins of the world. He who knew no sin will become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that worm that all night long was eating up that gourd was simply saying to Jonah, Jonah, your man-made method won't, won't save Nineveh. It's only... God that can save a nation. It's only Christ that can save a nation. It's only the blood that can save a nation. And this red, scarlet blood of this worm, this red worm, if you please, from whom was taken the dye for the priest's garment, from which was taken the dye for the tabernacle covering, from which was taken the dye for Ahab's scarlet thread, this worm, this blood-red worm, representing Jesus, who is to say, I am that blood-red worm. The only way Nineveh can be spared. There's a lot wrong with our country. A lot wrong with it. I'm going to say a few things about it tonight. I think there's, not, not, there's nothing quite so sickening to me as to hear a fellow who shaves with a pair of tweezers think he can run the country. There's nothing quite so, so sickening to me as to hear a fellow whose rich parents are financing his 
white through some wicked university who's never held a job for a day, who's never ridden a bicycle trade, never done a single thing, never worked a day's work, never earned a day's wages, never held down a job, who all of a sudden thinks that his little benighted mind is what the world needs, and he's like the fanny hen who crows in the morning thinking the sun comes up to hear him crow. One of the things wrong with this nation now, and I'll say it tonight, is we who have had some experience have sat back and let a bunch of beardless young men and a bunch of mini-skirted young ladies make us think they're smarter than we are and they know things we don't know. The honest, simple truth is I, we have folks in this house this morning who are 60 and 65 and 70 and 75 years of age that didn't even get through the fourth grade that have more sense than a lot of these DDs and PhDs and BAs and MAs in these universities, at least the folks here got enough sense to bathe. I saw an advertisement from Bob Jones University today that I thought was fabulous. You know how they do there. It, they have everything right. I mean, when they send out a thank you note for a gift, it's usually a beautiful plaque with a cardboard inside to keep it straight in a big envelope, not just with a letter saying thank you for the gift. You graduate. You have everything to do is right. They had a beautiful, beautiful uh, uh, advertisement. And then they put on that advertisement a statement that's not like Bob Jones, but it tickled me to death. It said, come to the university. It had a couple of hippies pictured in one corner and a picture of Bob Jones University in another corner with a nice, dressed, well-dressed kids with haircuts and baths and so forth. And it had on the bottom, it said, come to the university where you don't get fleas. <laughs> and I said, glory to God. Come to the university where you don't get fleas. What's the answer for America? The blood of Christ. Jonah, that gourd won't do. Jonah, that booth won't do. I'm going to send this worm to let you know that Nineveh is being spared. Why? Because of the blood of an innocent substitute pointing to the Lord Jesus Christ. But there's something else. I just say this very quickly in passing. That worm can save not only a nation, that worm can save selfishness. There's no way in this world a selfish person can ever, can ever defeat his selfishness apart from that worm. Jonah had cried 40 days, and Nineveh shall be destroyed. What did Jonah do? Got outside the city and built himself a little refuge of safety and sat down to watch the city be destroyed. Complete selfishness. There's nothing quite so sickening as one who's come to the end of selfishness road. And so it was with Jonah. My daughter Becky and I were out visiting on Thanksgiving Day, taking some little, we had bought some little uh, pot plants, and we, had go, we were going to all the shut-ins we could and take each, each other in a pot plant and make a visit on Thanksgiving Day. And so we left about, oh, 10, 10.30 in the morning and made the rounds for all the shut-ins and gave each one a pot plant and so forth for a while. And, and uh, so <clears throat> we'd, we'd go to one place and somebody real sweet and loving and grateful uh, one man wanted to give us something. Oh, how happy he was to see us. And we go to somebody who was cynical. Well, we hadn't had enough visits lately from the staff, and, and, uh, and uh, we just don't appreciate it anymore, and, and, uh, and so forth. And uh, Becky got talking about that. These, these older people are different. They're different. Some are so sweet and grateful and appreciative, and some are so cynical and bitter. And I said, Becky, the difference is a life of unselfishness or a life of selfishness. That's the difference. Some people live for others. Some people live for self. And they come to the end of the trail. Now they've got four walls, and that's all. And they live in, inside those four walls. And now they have to live with the memory of the past. 
and some live with memories of lives in unselfish service for others, and some live with a memory of selfish lives, thinking only of me and mine. And I said, that's the difference. God comes to Jonah and said, Jonah, the secret of unselfishness, <laughs> it's that worm. It's that worm. Uh, you built your own booth. Yeah, you got to go it over you. Yeah. And now you want to watch the city be destroyed. Yeah. And Jonah said, Lord, destroy. Jonah, Jonah, see the whole city destroyed. He wanted it. But he got outside himself and said, I'll take care of me. The only way in the world you can overcome selfishness is through the red worm, the Lord Jesus Christ. But I hasten to say, that worm can save a nation. That worm can save selfishness. That worm can save the soul. That worm can save the soul. Your booth won't do. Your gourd won't do. It's that worm. And that night when Jonah went to sleep, that day before he'd had a booth over him and had a gourd over him, and that night as Jonah slept, a red worm came, and that worm began to eat its way through the gourd. And the next morning the sun came up and the heat of the eastern sun began to beat on Jonah's bald head. And... Uh, and Jonah said, I'll tell you, it's so hot, I wish I could die. And God was saying to Jonah, and he was saying to you and to me, that the only salvation there is in this world is the salvation brought by that worm, that worm about whom it speaks when Jesus said, I am a worm. Now let me just take very quickly the, the five or six times it's used. Isaiah one eighteen, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like a red worm, they shall be as wool. Why? Because Jesus is that red worm. Christ came from heaven and took upon himself our own likeness and bore our sins in his body upon the tree. He became a red worm for us. He bore our sins. He bore in his body your sin, my sin, became our substitute. And now the Lord Jesus Christ says, I am the hope for your scarlet and crimson sin. But another story he tells us. He says, when Rahab, that wicked, that wicked lady who sold her body, I mean, it was her job to, to go out and greet the wicked soldiers who came in and said, I'll sell my body for a bit of money to you wicked men. Who And so Je uh, Rahab, uh, she protected the spies and she got saved. And, and Joshua said, put the thread, but make it a scarlet thread. Why? Because that scarlet came from the blood of that worm, and Christ is that worm. And when Rahab put that scarlet thread down outside the Jericho walls, and the armies approaching saw that red, they said, Don't touch that house. Why? Because that house is covered with the red from the worm. Are you covered this morning with the red from the worm? Have you been born again? Have you by faith turned to Jesus Christ? What are you trusting to take you to heaven this morning? Rahab was not saved because she was good, because she wasn't good. Rahab was not saved because she was religious, because she was not religious. Rahab was not saved because she joined the church, because she did not belong to a church. Rahab was not saved because she was baptized, because she hadn't been baptized. She was saved because she had the scarlet thread covering her. And you're only saved if you have the scarlet thread of the Lord Jesus Christ, that worm from whose veins there came the blood that washes the sins of man away. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. And then, of course, the coverings of the tabernacle, the clothing of the high priest. I was thinking this week, I got a card this week that one of our ladies is in the hospital and uh, she's deaf and uh, she has cancer, 
and she can't live long. In fact, I think they took her to the hospital to die. She's up in years. She has cancer. As I read the card, my mind wandered back to one afternoon on a Friday or Saturday sometime. I was out soul winning. I went by out on the south side of Hammond, and the little lady came to the door, and a very, very interesting thing followed. I said, how do you do? I'm Jack Hyle, pastor of First Baptist Church, and I've come to talk to you about Jesus. And the little lady said, oh, don't mention that name. We're Orthodox Jews. And I said, which name? Jack Hiles or Jesus? <laughs> Some places in town you can't mention either one. And <clears throat> so uh, I said, which name? And she said the last one. She said, we're Orthodox Jews. And she said, we don't mention that name in our house. And I don't know why. I had never done anything like this before. But before I knew it, I said, oh, that's all right. I'm a half Jew myself. And she stood up, stood up and said, you're what? And I said, I'm half Jew myself. She said, is that a fact? You're half Jew. She said, your accent doesn't sound like you're half Jew. And I said, well, I said, the other half is Texan. And I said, uh, that's why my accent's like it is. And she said, you're half. I said, yes. But I said, uh, I said don't, don't worry about that, the other half either. Because I said, uh, it hasn't always been that way. I said, I was born not a half Jew. But when I was 11, I became a half Jew. She said, what? I said, yes. But I said, don't, don't worry about that because I, I said, any day now, I'm going to become all Jew. She said, I'm a concerned. I'm, I, I can understand you. She said, you're born all Gentile, became a half a Jew when you're 11, and going to become all Jew any day now? She said, what do you mean? And I said, that's what I came for, was to tell you. And I told her how that I was uh, born in sin, but I was saved when I was 11, became half Jew. And how that any day Jesus was going to come, and I was going to drop this robe of flesh and rise and seize the everlasting prize, and I was going to become all Jew and be like Christ. And she said, well, that's so interesting. And I said, well, thank you. And I told her about Christ, and she was saved. I mean, right there on the spot, married lady, she was saved. I told her about Jesus. And then I told her, I said, I came by to see Mrs. and called her name. And she said, well, you can't talk to her. She's my mother. She's deaf. <coughs> She's Jew, too. Said she just came last Sunday because the only place she can go and hear any, any, see any deaf people and be with any deaf people is First Baptist Church Deaf Plant. And so uh, I said, where is your mother? And she brought her mother in. And I said, would you tell your mother what I just told you with, with my lips and tell her that you got saved? And she reached over and she began to talk to her mother in the sign language. And uh, she talked to her, and I don't know any of that stuff, but anyway, she talked to her in the sign language. And... Um, so uh, uh, she won her in less than 10 minutes after I had won her to Christ. She had won her aged mother to Christ. And the next Sunday night, both of them baptized right here in this baptistry. Now, that's the answer. Your, your need is, to be, to, is faith in the blood of Christ. God is saying to Jonah, Jonah, we won't save Nineveh by your board or by your booth. We'll only save Nineveh by the blood of a worm, a red worm. And he's saying, we'll only save individuals by the blood of him who 2,000 years ago, and hundreds of years after Jonah, would be hanging on the cross between heaven and earth, and he would say, I am a worm. This is not just an ordinary worm. This is God's Son. This is the Son of God. This is the pre-incarnate, pre-existent God himself. This is God in flesh. This is the darling of heaven. This is God's only begotten. This is the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. 
who says, I am a worm. Why? He was willing to become a worm. And that worm was squeezed on the cross. And from the blood, the, the veins of that worm, there came the blood-red substance about which our Lord speaks when he says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Have you come to the place where you trusted the worm? Oh, you're trusting a gourd. That won't do. You're trusting the booth. That won't do. That won't save you. It's just the worm. It's just the worm. And you come to the place in your life where you say, Dear Lord, I know that Jesus became flesh for me. I know on the cross he became sin for me. You may or may not say a worm. You may say he was a goat. You may say he became sin. You may say he bore your sin. You may say he suffered for your sin. You may say he became your sin. How you put it doesn't matter as long as you know that he became a worm bearing your sin. And you say, Dear Jesus, today... I don't trust the church. I just trust what you did on the cross. I don't trust the denomination. I don't trust the confession. I don't trust the ritual. I don't trust the ordinance. I don't trust the sacrament. I don't trust the pope. I don't trust the priest. I don't trust the rabbi. I don't trust the Eucharist. I don't trust the Lord's Supper. I don't trust the baptism. I simply trust him who was God's only son, who fellowship with the Father and was ministered to by heavenly angels, who laid aside his robes of royalty and became sin for flesh and was willing to even say, I am a worm, that you through faith in his blood 